Please open your Bibles to the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 4. We'll be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. This is a lengthy passage concerning the woman at the well that Jesus met in Samaria and spoke with. I want to read the passage during the sermon, so let me begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray for your wisdom and your insight as we read and look through this passage of Scripture and seek to apply it to our life. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, sometimes if you have a tremendous emotional experience, good or bad, with someone or in a certain event, you often want to communicate it with other people. And you want to share the impact, the influence that that person made on you or that experience, what it was like. And sometimes it's hard to impress upon the other person the level of feeling that you have and you want them to know about it. And one strategy to try to impress upon them your experience is to find something similar in their life that has meaning. And you may say, it was just like that. When you went through that, that's what I experienced. That's what I, you try to find some connection between you and the hearer. In a lot of ways, I think this is what John is doing with, with his gospel, his telling about Jesus Christ. John has experienced the Lord Jesus Christ on a very deep level. He was there, leaning on Jesus' side right there at the Last Supper. He saw all the miracles that Jesus did during His ministry. John is called that beloved disciple. And now that beloved disciple is trying to share who this Lord and Savior is, that you may have the same emotional depth and feeling about it. So what does John do? What is that connection that he makes with his readers? Well, what John does is he piggybacks the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle and the temple was the epicenter of the entire Old Testament. And of course, there was a water section in the tabernacle and temple. There was a bread section in the middle section, and also there was a light section, and there was a holy of holies. The way John structures his gospel account is he has a lot of water miracles, just like there's a water section in a tabernacle. Then, later in chapter 6 and following, we're going to see bread being spoken about. He's following the tabernacle. And then there's going to be a light section And then we're going to get into the Holy of Holies where Jesus Christ conquers death. So John is tapping into the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple. He's identifying with that Jewish culture that understands the full meaning of that. And John is saying, Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle. Jesus is the ultimate temple. He dwells with us. This is why in chapter 1, it says the Word of God became flesh and tabernacled among us. 
I say all of this to tell you that as we read about the woman at the well, when Jesus speaks to her, we're obviously still in the water section. Okay? And next chapter, in chapter 5, later in chapter 5, we're going to get into another water section where a man is healed by the water of a, of a pool. So we're still in the water section and that's what John is doing. He wants us to see that Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle. Also, in this passage of Scripture, when Jesus meets this woman at the well, John seems to be tying a lot of themes together that he's held separate in the previous chapters. You remember the first miracle that, that Jesus performed was turning water into wine? Well, yes, it's a water miracle, but that happened after a wedding. So the theme of wedding and marriage has come up in chapter 2. And then the theme of new birth, new life, John's water. This theme of marriage, this theme of new birth or new life of water, living water is going to come up in this chapter. In fact, whenever Jesus speaks to this woman at the well, he's going to talk about her marriage and he's leading her to himself. And the symbolism here is we're going to see is that he is the ultimate husband. Okay, who gives true life and true meaning to the world. So all these themes that John has kind of kept separate a little bit are going to be coming together here with this narrative of Jesus encountering this woman at the well. Let's start reading and take this section at a time. Verses one through six says this. Therefore, when the Lord Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. You'll notice that Jesus right here is starting to travel northward. What that means is he's leaving Jerusalem. He's going up toward Galilee. He has to go through Samaria. That's the, the midway section there. Now, there's a double meaning in verse 4 where it says he needed to go through Samaria. It's kind of like John is winking at you saying, do you get it? The point is this. It's not simply about location. It's not about geography, meaning he has to go through that place to get to the final destination. That's one dimension of it. But he needed to go through Samaria providentially to meet this woman. There was a divine plan to meet this woman so that she would hear about Christ and she would spread the message of the gospel through Samaria. This, this woman will be the first evangelist, so to speak, apart from John the Baptist, but the first evangelist out of Jesus's ministry here in Samaria. Also, another reason he needed to go through Samaria is the symbolism of the whale. Whose well of water is this? This is Jacob's well of water. Jacob is the same man who 
Later in Genesis, his name was upgraded to Israel. You could say it like this. This is Israel's well of water. And this is also the plot of ground where Jacob gave ground to his son, Joseph. What does that call to mind? Joseph was the savior of his generation. He was the savior of Egypt. He provided the bread during the famine. He rescued that generation in the seven years of famine. And so all these themes are coming together. Jacob, he was renamed Israel. Joseph, who is a savior of Egypt. This is the location where Jesus needs to go. And he meets this. He will meet this woman at this particular well. One of the real practical applications of this, you can see that John is communicating to you is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises given to Jacob, all the promises given to Israel, and that the symbolism here is is like funneled. It is bottlenecked. It is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I've taught you all over and over again that you are the new Israel. The church is the new Israel. You're receiving all of those promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament because they're funneled through Jesus Christ. They flow from Him, through Him, and to you. This is all symbolized here with Jacob's well. You'll notice as well that this is the sixth hour. John again is winking at you saying, get ready. It's not the seventh hour. It's the sixth hour. The number six in the Bible often indicates some type of indication of a lack of something. Um, It's not yet the seventh hour. It's not yet the seventh day. Um, It's often indicating sinful man. We're going to see how many what how many husbands this woman has up to this point. But remember this it's the sixth hour. Number two, look at verses seven through fifteen. Concerning the living water. In verse 7 it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. You'll notice in this first conversation, 
with the woman, there is a distinction between what I would call thirsty water and living water. What's thirsty water? Thirsty water is the water that you drink and you drink and it doesn't quench your thirst. You keep getting thirsty from it. You need more of it. That's what Jesus Christ is describing this well of water from Jacob's well to this woman. She keeps, going to, she keeps drinking this water and she's thirsty. She keeps drinking more of it. It's not going to satisfy. There's a symbolism between her water drinking and her past life. We're going to see that she has six husbands or six men in her life. There's a relationship there. She's very thirsty. She's, a, she's very emotionally needy. She wants to have satisfaction in her heart and soul, and she can't find it from all these men in her life. It's like that thirsty water from this water well. But Jesus Christ does not describe his water as thirsty water. He describes it as living water. It's a water that truly does satisfy, but not only does it satisfy, it produces more water. Notice this, in verse 14, he says, the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So notice how God gives grace upon grace. He doesn't give you water simply to satisfy or quench your thirst. He gives you the, the, the gift of water salvation in the sense of living water so that actually more of it will come from you and flow out to others. It's not simply for yourself. It's for the world at large. Now let me go ahead and jump ahead of myself here. This is what's going to happen to the woman. She's going to drink from this water. She's going to believe in Jesus Christ. And what is she going to do? She's going to become that evangelist and share the water and spill the water everywhere in Samaria and tell people about Jesus and more people are going to come to Jesus because she partakes of the living water. Now, moving on, I've mentioned this a little bit. Look in verse 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you have spoken truly. Now, when you add all this up, it's pretty easy. She's had five husbands, and there's one more that she's with right now. That equals six. There's six men. This is why there's a relationship between the sixth hour that was mentioned earlier and the six men that she has in her life there's a deficit. There's something sinful. There's something wrong going here. That's what is indicated by the number six. This is why whenever Solomon, before he fell into sin in the book of Kings, the amount of gold he had was 666 talents of gold. It's indicating a fall in Solomon's life. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar set up that statue for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship, it was measured as 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That number six is indicating something sinful about that. The mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, it's borrowed from King Solomon's 666 talents of gold. The mark of the beast is 666. 
That number six is often used to indicate something sinful, something that is not yet complete, uh, some type of fall of man. That's why here she has six husbands. But it's leading her to the ultimate man. Jesus Christ is number seven. Jesus Christ is this, is fulfilling this role of saying, you've tried it all. I'm here to give you the living water that will not only satisfy you, but also work and flow through you to others. She responds here in the middle part of this passage in verse 19 and 21 and following. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem in this place, in this place is where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You'll notice in this passage, in this particular conversation, she assumes that really the Jews say you must worship in Jerusalem, that that's the jurisdiction where real worship happens. Jesus says, no more. Now that he is coming, with a new creation, a new world order, you can worship God anywhere in the world, in the spirit and in truth. It's not localized in one particular location. This is why whenever people go to places like Jerusalem or Israel, the only good that you're going to do in going to Jerusalem or Israel, if you visit them, is for a history lesson. It's not any more spiritually significant. Sometimes Roman Catholics may want to go visit Rome and see the Pope, see the Vatican, and see all that. They may think there's more spiritual significance. That's not true. Everywhere around the world, wherever two or three are gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a taste of heaven on earth. You see this also with in the false religion of Islam. They try to get people to go to Mecca, go to a location, a particular epicenter on the earth where that's where they believe divine graces are, are coming down through that area. All that kind of superstition is foreign from the Bible. Jesus Christ is telling this woman what he's telling all of us is that wherever you go, In the world, when you worship God in spirit and in truth, God is with you. Do not have an idol, an idol of a city or a town or a country of where God favors that place more than any others. What God favors is, is his church, his place. That's his real temple, his dwelling place. So moving on. We see that this woman desires to have 
an ultimate worship experience with the Lord. And here Jesus Christ is going to turn the attention to himself. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. You'll notice that the disciples were even wondering why Jesus was speaking to a woman at the well or at a well. Well, there's a biblical pattern here that anytime you see a man speaking with a woman at a well, you would expect them to get married next. Uh, the first woman at a well was actually Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because in the higher land of Eden, there was a well of water. And it flowed down through the garden. And God made the man. And right near that flow of water, that's where also God made the woman and put them together. That was a prototype of what would happen later in the book of Genesis. When all these patriarchs, when you read about with Moses and Jacob and Isaac, when they met their wife at a water well. Here, Jesus is following that same pattern and symbolizing that he is the ultimate husband of his church. On a natural level, you can see why the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing talking with this woman at the well like Jacob did, like Isaac did, like Moses did? Where are you leading this woman? He's leading this woman not to a physical marriage, He's leading this woman to salvation. Salvation really is a spiritual marriage, a relationship between you and Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ is the seventh man here. The ultimate man, the ultimate husband, and the church is his bride. That's what John wants you to get about the symbolism of Jesus Christ speaking with this woman at the well. And of course, what happens is literally what Jesus foretold. He said, those who drink this living water, out of them will flow fountains of living water. Well, what does she do? She believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. She goes and tells the people in Samaria about him and they come to see Jesus Christ. Look in verse 31 and following. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to, one another, said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you, <clears throat> do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, 
and you have entered into their labors. One, a couple observations you can make about this particular conversation with Jesus and his disciples is that the disciples are now coming into a field of harvest and going to bring in people into the kingdom that generations before them did not see the fruits of it. Think of that. Think if you're a farmer and you're planting seed, you're laboring the ground, and in your lifetime, you don't see the results. And you think, man, I lived my life in vain. It's all over. But then a generation comes after you, and you plowed up that ground, you did all that good work, got all the rocks out of it, but a generation comes after you and starts reaping the benefits. Your labor on the ground was not in vain because generations later benefited from it. That's basically what Jesus is saying about his disciples, that, that people labored in this field long before. In other words, the old covenant came. The temple was there. These people prophesied things long before these disciples, but now the disciples are going to reap they're going to bring people into the kingdom. This is why Peter is going to cast out that net and catch 153 fish, symbolizing the church bringing in people into the kingdom. It shows you that, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, even if you don't see the fruit of that labor. So these people here, the ones who came before disciples didn't see the fruit, but the disciples are going to see some fruit. Lastly, you can see this, that the life water flows into Samaria. Many of the Samaritans, in verse 39, it says that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified, who said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. One primary point I want to share with you that John wants you to understand about this passage, that this woman is a prototype of the church. This woman is representative of the church. People don't come to the church because of their pure clean, spotless background. They're sinful. They are, they got bad backgrounds. They got bad past, but they're forgiven and they come and they drink the living water. And when they drink the living water, they don't, it's not only that they are satisfied with that, they share it with others. This is exactly what this woman is doing here. She comes from her background she finds the water of Christ. She becomes an evangelist in Samaria. And then she brings all them around her to the Lord Jesus. And lastly, I forgot to mention this earlier. Samaria was a place that was despicable in the eyes of the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews, these Samaritans were a mixed race of people coming from the Assyrians and the Jews all mixed together. They were looked down upon. This is why whenever Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan, this was his way of slapping the Jews in the face. 
because he understood that the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. Therefore, I'm going to use a story about a good Samaritan to show you God's character. So here in a place that is looked down upon, that the real estate value was really low and really bad, nobody really wanted to live here. This is where the gospel starts spreading. This is where Jesus starts turning the world upside down through the life of this Samaritan woman. And what it is, is the church can realize and identify with her. Because we're like her. You're the bride of Christ. And you found the seventh man. You found the complete man. The ultimate man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who actually forgives you who gives you living water and then employs you into his ministry and says, now go share it with others. Go shine that light and share that living water. This is why John wants you to realize that Jesus is the greater tabernacle, the greater temple, because he comes and dwells with us and tabernacles with us to win the world. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have called us into your heavenly kingdom, that you give us the living waters of life. These waters do not make us thirsty, Lord, but actually gives life to the world. We give you thanks that you have placed us in this particular town, in this region, for you've called us all to be your missionaries wherever you have placed us. There's a job, there's a job description all around us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll give us the wisdom to share the water of Christ with a very thirsty world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us now stand.